0: Oh yeah, that's a weird noise. It's just so strange.
1: You think we could do 30 minutes on on the different ringtones of different uh, VoIP services?
0: I would not bet against us. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to <laughs> Fatal Error, episode 40, <laughs> where we right. review ringtones.
1: <laughs> this is our ringtone reviewing podcast.
0: Remember when we talked about programming?
1: Yeah, those were the days. Hello and welcome to Fatal Error, episode 40. I'm Sarush Kanlu.
0: And I'm Chris DeZombach. Uh Before we start, I want to give a shout out to all of you who are supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you, the supporters, make this podcast possible. You pay for our editing and hosting costs, and uh, help keep the podcast sponsor free. And uh, we really appreciate your support.
1: Uh, yeah, we're we're starting to look at some some new gear, maybe some better microphones and some boom mics and stuff. So we might be able to get some uh, better audio audio quality. But ultimately, I think um, there's there's also a uh, a, what is it? A pepcac? problem exists between keyboard and, and chair.
0: Yeah, what's means is that he's still learning to use a microphone.
1: <laughs> I don't. I, do I talk into this part or over here? How does it? How does it work? <laughs>
0: uh, Classic. Right.
1: So. so yeah, today we want to talk about. Okay, there's mine. I've got my. I've got my seltzer.
0: <laughs> I don't. I'm out of seltzer. Yeah, I don't
1: actually like seltzer very much. Oh. fun facts. So I don't really drink. So I just drink, I drink water. I think water's pretty good.
0: I have just normal water here with me today. That's so right. today we thought we would talk about uh, the concrete per- or no. Um, well, talk about concurrency in Swift.
1: Concurrency,
0: which means that Sarish and I are just going to talk over each other and occasionally out of order for the remainder of this episode. <laughs>
1: Keeping keeping the threading jokes real. That's right. So uh, the way to solve that problem is just to do everything on a serial queue. Uh, You don't need concurrent queues. It's fine. Um, Or just get rid of mutable state. I mean, you just get rid of the whole program. Like, we don't need any of it.
0: Yeah, your whole UI is mutable state, though, right? (laughs) Yeah. So why are we talking about this?
1: Okay, so Chris Lattner um, accepted a job at Google Brain. uh, But I guess in his time off, he wrote this, like, 10,000-word manifesto about... um, about concurrency and swift and he published it and made a big brouhaha and so we're going to talk about it
0: yeah so we'll include a link to this in the show notes uh the um title is a or uh, yeah the title is concurrency and swift one possible approach
1: yeah i think on a, at a high level it's like way way more approachable than the Ownership manifesto and even the string manifesto is a little bit in the nitty gritty, but like concurrency, especially for iOS apps is just like people want to do async stuff all the time. And it's a super, super important part of what we do. And so it's like, actually, mm-hmm. we understand the problems of it very thoroughly. Um, we understand what we want from such a system. very yeah. or, like a really deep level. And so like, it's a really, really approachable uh, right. manifesto. if you've been avoiding manifestos, cause they're like too hard to get into check this one out. It's pretty,
0: pretty good. Yeah, it's it's pretty approachable. It's and it's something that, right, as you said, Saroosh, like a lot of iOS developers are going to be familiar with the sort of problems that we're trying to solve here already. Uh, this isn't something like the uh, ownership manifesto where we're bringing totally new concepts, or you know, trying to solve fairly unfamiliar problems, right?
1: Right. So, well, one thing that doesn't make much sense to me is that nine people have forked this gist.
0: Why doesn't that make sense? You're like only nine or.
1: I think nine is way too many. What are they? What are they doing? I don't know. I guess this one. I'm like literally looking at like you know how you can have like a revision history on the commits. They're just like kind of changing some of the language and and fixing some spacing issues. It's very strange.
0: Huh? Forking gists always seemed a little bit weird to me because like there's not there's no way to move like to collaborate backward. That right. No you can't sense. like
1: pull requests back into the original. Right. Go upstream.
0: So especially for something like this, I don't know. Well, whatever. I printed yeah. it out as a PDF and then highlighted things in preview.app on my computer because nice. um that's how I roll, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about, so let's let's try to dive in here.
1: Let's do it. So I think I think sort of like basically the two big things in this is one is async away and two is actors.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And well, so to like taking a step a, a quick step back here. There are some goals and, and non-goals that Chris sets forward here. Um, they're focusing on task-based concurrency, so things like what GCD and Thread solve, right?
1: Kind of. I, I do think the problem is bigger than that. Um, they they are, sorry, more focused than that. It's specifically for tasks that co- like con- complete in a discrete way, whereas like, well, for Async Await at least, you might have a longer-lived thre- thread or a queue that you use for data isolation or whatever, but at least the first part of this doesn't really touch that. It's kind of like, I have a task, and it like completes at a certain point, and when it completes, like the, the progress of the... You know, the, the thing can continue, basically.
0: I mean, it feels like you're brushing up against actors, which we'll get to like yeah. in the second part of the proposal, right? For right. Or the manifesto.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, sorry. Yeah. I will, let's stay focused. So
0: a, a few other goals that jumped out at me right away. Uh, there should be a, a structured right way to achieve most tasks, uh, right? We want to make sure that there's sort of one clear way to bar from Python. There's like one obvious way um, to do something.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that holds true for the rest of Swift?
0: Um, I think Generally, yeah. I mean, we're you. We've removed the like plus plus operator to increment something, and uh, you have to use the for in syntax or some other like more structured loop syntax, right? Right. Um, I, but I think even
1: that, even uh, enumerating over something, you can either use for in or you can use for each.
0: I mean, I guess, but those solve different problems, right?
1: Um. Only a little bit. I would say four H. The only thing that it gives you is that it lets you chain off the end of a, off the end of like a map filter, or whatever chain, and four in doesn't really lend itself yeah. to that. But um
0: also they're like different stru- Like they're they're different structures. They're different, um, like different constructions. Maybe the same thing, but they're useful in different cases.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I- I, I thought this part was actually pretty surprising because I don't think of Swift as a very, like, there's one right way to write this code and there's, like, hmm. and the other ways are discouraged. Especially when it comes to sequences and collections. There's a really good Erica Sadoon, <laughs> uh blog post where she wants to create uh, an array of, like, five new UI views. And she wants to, like, she doesn't want to have to write, like, UI view, UI view, UI view, UI view. Like, she wants to, like, um, simplify it somehow. So it's like, do you map over a range? Do you create an iterator and then create a sequence out of that and do a prefix of the first five? Do you um, like do the repeating API? Do you, and like, and like, that doesn't work because it actually has five references to the same UI view. I, I'll pull, pull that up and pull it in a show notes. But that in particular stuck out to me as something that like, I don't think Swift is particularly good at making sure that... uh um, yeah. Yeah, we, there's one right way to do things, and and the other ways are possible, but not okay. recommended. Let's take maybe roughly eight hours to go through this uh, concurrency I, I was, manifesto by going point by point and really getting into I the nitty gritty. I was going to say,
0: yeah, so, so those were a couple of the goals that that jumped out at me anyway as being interesting. Um The the only other thing that that jumped out immediately was that it's harder to maintain code that's GCD heavy uh, because you don't always know right away what data is protected by which queue, right? Like which GCD queue you have to touch some piece of data on. And because completion handlers don't, like there's no consistency in terms of what completion handlers get called on which queues. It's effectively random depending on who happened to design the API that you're using. Um, oh, and then the other thing that jumped out is error handling is really ugly across aso- like GCD boundaries, across asynchronous boundaries in Swift right now, right?
1: Yeah. Um, it's not good. <laughs> there was a notable thing in here that kind of bugged me, yeah. where he says error handling is particularly ugly because Swift's natural error handling mechanism cannot be yeah. used. yeah. <laughs> And it's like it's not really natural. Like you designed it, so this isn't is like
0: work, a, a natural like truth that we're just sort of deriving here. Like
1: right, exactly. It's like you made the thing. You could have made it work with async errors. You chose not to, which is yeah, fine. This was like,
0: designed this way, and we right. knew this. And a lot of people said this going in. And speci- like specifically rejected a result type or something that would have. Um, I'm still a little bit bitter about this, but
1: yeah, <laughs> yes. uh, okay.
0: We can we can quibble with the the phrasing there. I think
1: right, right. No, but and and I mean, you know, the ultimate point is right. The system that we have does not work for async.
0: Yeah. So yeah, looking forward. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, he also described it's sort of the um, introduction he described a pretty utopian view of the world where developers can build like every part of their system in swift and it all runs kind of distributed via some of these mechanisms that he's laying out uh and you don't and we eliminate a lot of the complexity dealing with particularly the network uh boundary right mm-hmm. and uh this seems like it's it's pretty far reaching um, i think maybe you've for the purpose of this discussion, we want to talk just about sort of async await and about, um, actors.
1: I think so. I mean, I think it's a beautiful future. If you can run Swift on every box in your server and on every client and every, um, remote call just looks like a call to another distributed actor. And it just all kind of works. That's like very far in the future. And I think like, it's a beautiful goal to try to get to, but right now we have Swift five is like, thing that we're working on and we should like think about that
0: yeah so this brings us i'm sort of just like scrolling through my notes on the manifesto here this brings us to the design of async await for swift now uh chris latner describes this in terms of coroutines uh do you and i've quite kind of a vague hand wavy idea about what exactly that means do you have a good uh, can you try to explain it to me somehow
1: yeah. Um, I can give it a shot. I've never used a coroutine, but my understanding is basically it's a function that can be uh, basically paused in the middle of it and maintains its state. So mm-hmm. right. if you have a Python generator, when you call like um, yield to like return some value out of that generator, that function stops and stays exactly the way it is until you call the function again. And then it continues from where that yield had started, basically. It doesn't seem like it would be related to the async await thing, but it kind of is in that when you await something, you're basically saying, I'm going to pause this function, other stuff will happen, the state of the function will stay the same, and then at some point later, this function will resume.
0: Right. I think the idea is that you have like coroutines running in almost a sort of run loop, Right. And any, like, and a coroutine can be paused and transfer control flow out to some other, um, to something else that's running. Right. And then can get data back and be reawakened later.
1: Yeah. The thing that was surprising to me is I kind of assumed the way that it would work is that it would kind of make a completion block for you and kind of just, like, indent your code and, like, do all the stuff that we need to do to make that all work. Um, and i think that's something called continuation passing style but i don't really know what continuation passing style is <laughs> and i was hoping maybe you knew and you could explain this one to me
0: i mean i can i can try to take a stab at this i'm not sure whether i totally understand it but mm-hmm. i think the idea is that you so say with gcd you like hand you you kick off some asynchronous task and hand it a block that Basically tells that asynchronous task how to continue the work that that you're doing, right? Right. And I think that I, I think that that kind of um, that kind of method of managing concurrent uh, managing control flow in concurrent code is more or less at least as one example of continuation passing style. Like you pass some sort of um, completion block or some sort of uh, closure, some sort of uh, like context that um, right. that ends up being used to continue control flow uh, from in in the caller.
1: That sounds pretty much right to my understanding, which is basically from Wikipedia, which says a function written in continuation passing style takes an extra argument, an explicit continuation, a function of one argument, and then it says programs can automatically be transformed from direct style to CPS. So I kind of figured. When they used, when you use a weight, it would kind of just make it so that your code would be.
0: Well, I think that that's. I think that um, maybe not in this manifesto, but in the concrete proposal for uh, for concurrency in Swift, uh, which Chris also posted a draft of. I think he dives into that in a little more detail. I think that that was at least kind of how that was he proposed implementing that under the hood, right? So he proposes introducing coroutines. Oh, and here we go. He writes, you can think of it as syntactic sugar for completion handlers. Um, This means that the the introduction of coroutines would not change the cues that completion handlers are called on. And he also talks a little bit later in the concrete proposal about how, like, functions that currently deal in completion handlers could be transformed to work with async await and then therefore with with the proposed coroutine structure pretty straightforwardly so I, my feeling is that that is if sort of how this works under the hood um, let me
1: let me dial it back one second ask a quick question uh, does that mean that the same function something that looks like it's a direct like i'm writing this code then this code then this code like procedural style code can actually run on more than one queue
0: what do you mean exactly? You could call it on whatever queue. You
1: well, there was a thing that you said where you you said that, um, and, and I, I wasn't clear on if it was part of this document or part of another document, but you said that uh, it it basically transforms it into a completion block, which then will run on whatever that completion block was fired on.
0: I'm not—I I don't know if I know what, what you're asking. It sounds like I, I didn't say something clearly to start with.
1: Okay, okay, so I'm caught up now. So so here in the concrete proposal, um, which is formatted more like a Swift evolution proposal, uh, right. he says, as you quoted earlier, you can think of it as syntactic sugar for completion handlers. Uh, we'll also throw this in the show notes, of course. Um, this means the inter- introduction of coroutines would not change the cues that completion handlers are called on and what that means to me is if you have a function that you're writing where you're like, okay, do this data, do this, like handle this data in line, and then async this thing to send it to the network, and then like get this result. Everything below that could actually happen on a different queue. Mm-hmm. So you could have one function that looks like it's just line, 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 with no blocks, no anything, that actually executes on two different threads. That
0: huh.
1: sounds horrible.
0: I'm not sure exactly what is meant by introduction of coroutines would not change the cues that completion
1: handlers are called on. As happens in other systems.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think what that might mean is not that there would literally be no change. I think that maybe maybe that means that like these, the queues that coroutines uh, call things on are the same queues that like, your code is already running on with GCD or, or whatever.
1: Right. It, that does make sense. And that is how it is today, right? When you call a function, um, you'll get a completion callback on some queue. It's a queue that you can right. access. Um, it's maybe a queue that your code put together. Uh, but it's not necessarily the main queue, and it's not necessarily the same queue as the code that you're running originally.
0: Okay, so then, I mean, in that... Yeah, I mean, that's true, and I think what this is saying is coroutines aren't, gonna, aren't necessarily going to change that.
1: Right, and a necessary consequence of that is that the same function, or what looks like the same function, the body of the same function, can actually run on two or more different queues.
0: Yeah, and that's true... I mean, that's true now, too, isn't it, with GCD? Like, whatever block you give it, if you're touching a function local state, like, you have no idea what queue that's going to... today,
1: I think we kind of know that we're passing it a block, and that block could could run anywhere. But the idea that you could have a function that looks like it's synchronous to run two totally different queues is bananas to me.
0: Well, it won't... Hmm. This seems weird, and I'm wondering if I'm missing something really important here.
1: Yeah, me too. Which is Uh,
0: very possible.
1: Well, and so um, there's this other idea here as well as this function of async coroutine. Again, this is still in the concrete proposal, the like uh, Swift evolution proposal. And then when you call the async um, coroutine function, what it does is it actually switches the thread that you're on. So the example he gives is do some stuff, await dispatch-queue.main.async co routine, which switches you to the main thread, and then he calls a function called do some stuff on the main thread, and then await background-queue.async co routine, and then that does some stuff in the background again. And now that I look at it, maybe it's just not that bad. Maybe it's fine.
0: Yeah, I also, I mean, you're looking at an example here that uh, is talking about how, um, yeah, I guess how, like, you'd implement. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah.
1: It kind of looks more like an assert where you're just like, yeah, this part runs on the main thread, and then you're like, okay, now this part runs on the background thread. Yeah, and it kind of looks better. I'm actually and maybe I'm down for this.
0: And I mean, this is decorated with the async or with the await keyword, right? And the function yeah. is marked a- marked async, so it's not like you can really say that the that this function looks like a normal synchronous function, right? It doesn't.
1: That's right. That's true.
0: It's clear that weird things are Something happening weird in this example is happening,
1: yeah and this code is very explicit about the fact that it is changing queues. whereas some code um might l- not look like it's going to be switching jumping queues around but it actually is
0: right yeah or yeah. even worse um like changes in other code can uh can influence whether like changes in the code that you're calling can influence whether your function is uh, continues on the um on the same thread or on the Same uh, queue or on a different queue, exactly. So, one thing that I was wondering here. um, So, we add this uh, async await syntax to the compiler, um, and we haven't really defined that. I think we're assuming that people are generally, people listening are generally familiar with with that syntax. Really, just really, really briefly, it basically lets you um, from inside some function kick off some asynchronous work. Uh, and you know call some code on a different queue and wait for it to give you a result back that's that's without
1: blocking the rest of the program from continuing to run
0: without blocking the rest of the queue that you're uh, that you're waiting on yeah right yeah right so we add this magic to the compiler uh, and in uh again I think in the concrete proposal for async semantics, which I'm looking at here mainly because um, This goes into a lot more detail about implementation. The manifesto kind of really uh, only looks at this at a very high level because this proposal document also exists, right? Um, Somewhere in here, Chris notes that this isn't necessarily tied to... uh, Right, it's completely concurrency runtime agnostic. Uh, It works just as well with GCD as with pthreads or any other API right how um i guess that just you choose as an implementation based on which operating system it's building for is that how that works i mean i guess right now you can't use you can't use gcd on linux correct
1: that's not quite right okay so you can use gcd on linux um but you have to you actually don't have to do anything special to get it anymore. It's just part of the thing. You just write Import Dispatch and you can use it exactly as you would on iOS. Oh, cool. Um, the only difference is, and I need to write a blog post about this, but the only real difference is that you can't really use the main queue because it's usually blocked so that the program doesn't end. It's like spinning. That makes There's sense. Money. Yeah, pretty chill. That,
0: I mean, and that maybe has more to do with, like, your. that's just how the style of application that you're writing is structured.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, so anywhere that you have Swift right now, you do have dispatch so i don't necessarily i mean like i think he's just saying that i think one way to think about this is that like threads are one level of abstraction on top of that we built something that we call cues um or that we call dispatch more broadly and that is a whole different level of abstraction that makes it a little bit easier to think about stuff and makes it a little bit easier to work with those threads then on top of that we build a third level of abstraction that's async await or actors um and that, the the point of that next level of abstraction is to hide the fact that you're using dispatch under the hood. And because you've done that, you can then re-implement async await as okay. uh, built on top of threads or built on top of POSIX locks or whatever. Yeah, something like that, I think, is what he means.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. So runtime agnostic just means we're not tying this to any like implementation at runtime or any specific concurrency library in this proposal. That's right that's okay. right
1: i just yeah i think he's just saying it's agnostic to that
0: okay which is literally what what that says okay uh, yeah. one other thing that i found interesting in this concrete proposal for async semantics which you the listener really should go uh, and read through this proposal it's interesting it's not too hairy to read it's it's pretty understandable i think um and there's a good amount of code, and we're not going to just read code at you while you're listening, because that's terrible to listen to. <laughs> uh, Chris provides a sort of proof of concept uh, example of what a future type implementation might look like um, using async await. And that was a nice, uh, a nice example of the sort of thing that this syntax makes so much easier uh, and how using this language feature might look i was also amused because uh the future contains its own definition of a result enum and uh <laughs> i had to laugh there because um as previously discussed that's something that i think should be built into language but <clears throat>
1: well and and even worse is he makes it that an optional re- result which just add an extra case for pending in your because you're defining the um it's a private that's enum; it's only used inside the future So just add one more case for pending, and then you don't have to, and you can just say private var results uh, is a result that's not optional, equals dot pending, and you're done. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) What do I know? I'm just a lowly Swift programmer. (laughs) So this actually gives an answer to one big question that I have, which is, let's say I have two completely independent async tasks and I need the results of both of them before I can continue and do my work.
0: But they um, can run concurrently independently. Of exactly, each other. because
1: they're independent, they're completely mm-hmm. independent. They could run concurrently. Yeah. With naive async await syntax, I would have to write await the first thing and then await the second thing, and it would happen in serial, which is problematic. Not problematic, but like not ideal.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, this was and, one of
0: my questions reading through the uh, the manifesto as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I would implement this basically as like promise.zip. You take two promises, zip them together, and it yields one promise with a tuple of the results of the first promise and then the results of the second promise. And how do you make this work with async await? And it seems like the answer that he's giving is uh just make a future and then fulfill it with an awaited value and then add completion blocks to the future that he calls awaiters.
0: Um mm-hmm.
1: Oh, waiter, there's a, there's a fly in my queue. Oh, um, some people
0: pay extra for that.
1: <laughs> uh, I, sorry, I don't get that joke.
0: Oh, I mean, that's kind of the classic. The waiter, there's a fly in my soup. Um, uh, don't tell everyone, otherwise everyone else will want some.
1: Oh, you know, I never got that joke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a good joke.
1: No, it's a really extremely funny joke. Um, <laughs> I'm glad my ignorance is only bared to our, to our Patreon listeners, who I Ever. trust implicitly. <laughs> have uh,
0: i mentioned i'm start i'm changing jobs again i'm i'm doing stand-up now
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can you can uh you can catch chris at the, the chuckle factory uh, um, um, in Ann Arbor. here all week
0: remember to tip your <laughs> tip your uh servers <laughs>
1: Um <laughs> so right so basically you just end up back in the completion block world and then you could write a zip function that takes two It
0: doesn't even have to take two futures it just takes two things and uh you wait on uh, and you wait on those two things to be available
1: it, right, it's a right. very
0: nice syntax
1: And then and then you just yeah and then you just call like dot get and dot get as an async function that right. will return the value when it's done Mhm
0: one thing that i really like about this looking at the futures example is that it really where previously gcd code often looked very side effecty mm-hmm. right like you're v- you're very imperatively saying like do this work on this queue and i need this result and it's going to go here like it was very sort of clunky and imperative this makes it very very clear that like the goal of this uh of this block is to produce some do some work and produce some value and return it. Like it's so much clearer what's going on. This just looks so much less side-effecty and reads so much better to my eye. Right. Um, I'm looking at this and thinking it just looks very like clean and functional because you're just saying uh this resource is a future that will fetch um you know go go fetch this file for me and this resource is a future that represents the you know potential future value of this other file. And once we have those, like, I'm, I'll do something with these two files. Like, it just, it, it reads more, more declaratively.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you say it that way, because um, to me, procedural and imperative are sometimes conflated, even though they're not really the same thing. And we're staying in a procedural world, but because of these abstractions, we're able to lift ourselves um, mm-hmm. into a slightly more uh, declarative like, yeah, it's, it's less imperative and more declarative, even though it stays procedural.
0: Yeah, and I think this is an important note about taxonomy, right? You, I, right. In my view, you have sort of imperative and declarative are two ends of the same spectrum. And then, like, procedural versus um, maybe functional is, is maybe a, a different spectrum entirely.
1: Maybe procedural versus mm, descriptive? Mm. I don't know. We don't need to yeah. reinvent the syntax here.
0: Yeah. No, it's not procedural versus fine. Okay. Yeah. I, I. I take it back. I take it back.
1: It's the procedural versus have something. Um,
0: <laughs> but anyway, dec- declarative and imperative are the the options right. that I want
1: here. Yeah. Exactly. So the next interesting thing in this uh, in this concrete proposal, Swift evolution proposal, is that he's proposing having functions either be automatically or you know, manually translated from completion block-type functions to async-type functions. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is basically a pretty good idea. They did this with with throws for all of the um, APIs that return NS error. But one of the things that they brought up on the mailing list that was actually a very interesting point was there are functions that return a meaningful value in addition to having a completion block. So a good example of this is NS URL session. when um, When you, like, send off a request you get back something that you can call cancel on you can like you know manipulate you can read the um in ios 10 you'll be able to read an ns progress off of it but then also you have this completion block so if they over like which one are they going to pick are they going to pick a big are they going to make a tuple would a tuple make any sense Mm -hmm. will you get back one object that you then call send on and then that actually is the thing that's awaitable
0: I mean I think this is an interesting question. I don't think it's really core to async await semantics for Swift. Like
1: you think it's kind of an implementation detail.
0: I think it, exactly. Yeah. Like we know yeah. we, we'll import these APIs nicely somehow. I assume that they will they'll um you know take into account the common pattern where like something returns a boolean and uh or uh, that's a separate thing I guess.
1: Well, like, but they uh, did handle that for for error. So it's a really good point. Yeah. Like, there like, are this errors has where- been yeah, the th- Boolean represents success or failure, and then you check the error if it's failure.
0: Right. Like, we've we've crossed this bridge before. I'm sure, yeah. like, we'll, we'll encapsulate common patterns and, like, return a, give you back a tuple in cases where it's not obviously one of the common patterns. Like, right. that's fine.
1: And they mentioned in the proposal, in fairness, they say what should happen with non-void returning completion handler functions, e.g. in URL session. So.
0: Right. Like, that, sure. Maybe, yeah. um, yeah. They'll figure it out. Yeah. One thing that you may be really, really interested to read about if you scroll all the way down to the concrete proposal for async mm-hmm. semantics in Swift, um, down to the header fix queue hopping Objective-C completion handlers. Now, this is something that we talked about earlier and identified as a potential problem. mm mm-hmm. uh, So, he uh, he doesn't really go into detail here, since this is down under um, if this is under potential future directions. So, this is um you know maybe not for maybe not like immediately in scope when this gets implemented but uh here chris has called this out as a potential problem and um suggests that uh this could at least be fixed in the objective c importer uh and um i don't know that's that's one thing to to note and just to be aware that that's being considered
1: yeah definitely i think that like that syntax of, like, async code routine or whatever, or, like, ensure main queue or something like that. Yeah. Where you would say, like, main queue dot ensure asynchronously or something. So you would say, like, I don't care if I'm on the main queue already. I really, really want to be on the main queue. Make sure I'm on that. And it reads almost like an assert. It reads almost like a precondition. But it just does the right thing, and then your code can just continue to, to operate. Yeah. Do I think it's super, super nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, what else do we want to note about this proposal um oh
1: boy i have a lot of thoughts Um, okay
0: i'll call out briefly just since we mentioned error handling that now that uh we have nice syntax for async await at least in this proposal um throwing works perfectly across this boundary because uh that you know they'll build compiler support so um the quote-unquote natural swift error handling will work nicely with this syntax which is good
1: Yeah, this is something that, um, so I, I wrote a blog post about async await, um, sometime last year, September of last year. And I talked about how like, oh, actually, if you do have async await, that makes try and throws and all that stuff kind of work really nicely. Um, so I think that is definitely going to be a component that will make this a lot more palatable and it will make having written code somewhere um so on on the server everything's synchronous and then try becomes awesome when everything's synchronous and you do have errors that are coming back uh from various processes yeah so like once we can take advantage of that on the client i think it's going to be really nice that being said i do have a question for you which is do you think that every async function should be implicitly throws as well they ask that in one of these headers
0: yeah, I forget exactly. They, I think that's maybe under alternatives considered.
1: Um, it's um, it's alternate syntax options, not quite the alternatives considered section. But it says make async be a subtype of throws instead of orthogonal to it. And I'm wondering what you think about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that definitely would simplify things. But I don't know. There are a lot of asynchronous things that just do something and basically won't fail. Right. Yeah, my gut feeling is that this uh, I don't like this.
1: Yeah, I think they should be separate as well. I think they should be orthogonal. I think there are plenty of things that happen asynchronously that never fail. Yeah. I would like to be able to model those and I would like to be able to do async without having to do a yeah. do catch block every single time. And like then you'd be like doing try bang await because you know it's not going to fail. It would be horrible.
0: Yeah, that would that would be really messy. So my yeah. only my only thought here is that we're adding a lot of... Uh, especially with the actors that are proposed in um, in the Concurrency Manifesto. And I think we'll probably talk about actors in a future episode. Um,
1: that makes sense, given it where like 40 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we're adding a lot of keywords here. And we're adding yeah. a lot of... Maybe not complexity, but we're adding a lot of stuff here. And there are a lot of details here. And maybe just async things are always... Always throwing would be a simplification that's worth that's worth making, if only to reduce the sort of cognitive overload, uh, yeah, or the cognitive effort that comes with introducing all this.
1: I've kind of come around on this. If you want to make a language that has a lot of really really rich features, you just need a shitload of keywords. There's kind yeah. of no way around it. It yeah. kind of sucks, but also like I would rather have the language have the features that were like the ship of make this. As elegant as Haskell sailed like two and a half years ago. Like, yeah. it's not gonna happen. Oh, you mean so I right, think, when like,
0: the, right when the air handling model got adopted?
1: Basically. Um, <laughs> uh, like, it added throws, throw, re throws, uh, try, try bang, try question mark, do, catch. And like, Ew. it's fine. That's yeah. Uh... It's fine. Like, it sucks, but it's also fine.
0: Just like he- just hearing you list all those, <laughs> um, I-, I cringed a little bit because yeah, yeah. that's not. Yeah. It's not. Simple. I still think result plus some magic plus pattern matching would have been a lot nicer.
1: Uh, I don't think I disagree with you on that, yeah. um, or at least like that. They say like we have a you know a-, a result type, but it's just under the hood. It's unnamed. You can't touch it. You can't access it. But, like let us access it. Um. Yeah. But that being said, like, do catch is nicer than flat map, flat map, flat map in a lot of cases. So, yeah,
0: no, that's true. So, all
1: right. um,
0: We can stop beating the error handling horse here.
1: I mean, I don't think that one is ever going to be dead. Have we
0: done a podcast on it? We'll throw an episode in the show notes.
1: We did one episode about how we handle errors.
0: Okay. That was a good one. We'll throw it in the show notes.
1: I still have more thoughts, though. Uh, So, another thing that I think is interesting about this proposal is. He proposes begin async and suspend async. So the idea is that begin async is a regular function that takes a function that um, where the inside can be async, but the outside doesn't have to be async. And my feeling on this is if a function is void, then it should just be... It shouldn't... Well, um,
0: the problem this is solving is that so every if you call something that's async if you like calls like if your function calls await something mm-hmm. then your function has to be marked async because right. it also is a coroutine that may need to that will need to be suspended at some point point yes. and so whatever calls that is going to need to be async yes and like at some point something up the chain is not async but is going to have to kick off this process right
1: so my feeling on this is if you're it should be baked into the return type. If your return type is void, then the outer function doesn't need to wait for it because there's no value there.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Or if it does, then and like maybe it prints the re- um prints like, hey, I'm done, then that function then doesn't need to be async at all because you know that it'll never nobody cares what its return value is, so it should just immediately return.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. You could say I care about side effects, um, but then maybe you return. That's a weird one.
0: Um If you you're...
1: care about like you do an async thing, then you perform a side effect, and then you want to know when that side effect is done, but you don't care what the side effect is.
0: Well, and you may also like you still need this because you may want to call something async but still return a value, right? Like or Yeah. So like, if you're returning a
1: like, value, then great.
0: So like just having a void return type can't be the only way to uh to start like to get into the async world. Why not? Because what if you want to return something from there too?
1: Well, then it has to be async because otherwise, how could it? Then it like
0: okay. Well, then something has to call that,
1: right? Which is fine. Something will call it, and then that that's something will return immediately, and then the async world will be kicked off and do its solid async stuff. Okay, so it's, it's async all the way down or all the way up, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's. I think so. I think you can roll it into the void type and just say if it's void, then you don't need to wait on me. Or you can't even wait on me. Huh, that does again pose a problem if you want to know that it completed, but don't care what it completed with. Sucks, but well, it seems simpler than having to nest one layer deeper and having this extra set of functions begin async and suspend async.
0: If you really wanted to do that, you could be, pass in some sort of like some sort of signaling method, right? You could. Um, like there are ways of collaboration right, right. that you could use to communicate across yeah. that boundary,
1: or just return a bool, return some dumb value that doesn't mean that right. much, but return just like fact.
0: an empty struct, right? Or yeah, like,
1: yeah, yeah. Which is what void is essentially. So you would make like a wait on me, wait on me. That'd be the <laughs> name of the struct. Yeah. So I, that's what I think. I think it'd be fine if we didn't have this begin async and suspend async, just because uh, it's more nesting. Who needs it? more keywords more free functions just simpler to not have it at all
0: yeah i have to find this here and look and see are there other problems that having this the like begin async? uh are there other problems that this solves
1: well something has to be not async and kick off the async flow right so and that's what it's it has to be there
0: yeah. So okay. Yeah, you have to have a way to begin and begin a co routine, right? Suspend the current co routine.
1: Suspending, I don't really understand why you would how that would work because it's already kind of out of your hands, right?
0: Well, that's part of how like continuation gets implemented, right?
1: I don't know. So like, I man. think
0: this is a. I think that part of the like suspend async um, functions here are a way to bridge between like completion handler like blocks that you write and um the like coroutine sort of state machine, the coroutine mechanics. Mm-hmm. I think that probably is still necessary if only because that's like uh okay down below there's an example. It's a the uh, the suspend async is used to wrap um, a callback based API as a uh, like an async coroutine API so that's something that where this is useful. Yeah, so look at the, going back to your point about begin async though mm-hmm. uh, the example that Chris gives here is an IB action that, that's you know the UI calls. And right. he basically wraps and, add, like, the actions this button does in the begin async call, which kicks off a co-routine, right? Right. But IB actions are side-effecty and return void. So right. if this whole thing were just implicitly async... Yeah. Yeah, that,
1: that and, and I be thought something to consider. More. If you did want to still wait on the value of a void-returning async process, you could, and as long as you return something at the end of that function... And make the outer function be async, and you're good. Yeah, that's it. Would just it would just work as you would expect.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That yeah, huh?
1: I'm kind of convinced. Maybe I'll write in. I'll email this.
0: Yeah, is this something that you've seen on the email list before, or is this totally is this a Roosh original?
1: Um, I've been keeping up with the mail list a little bit, but not like very very much. I've been I've been kind of busy with uh, code writing stuff. Yeah. That's um, fair. This week, but I will check it out and if it's not mentioned already. Because it seems obvious to me, so it must be obvious to someone else as well. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, What were your other thoughts about the...
1: So... uh, await. So the first option under... Or the first subheading under alternatives considered include future or other coordination abstractions in this proposal. So to me, this is the equivalent of should we include results in the error model or not? (laughs) And I think the answer is... Good God! Yes, please.
0: Yeah, because otherwise we're going to have a zillion like half-baked yep. coordination abstractions yep. in every application.
1: Almost everybody's just going to copy the one that's in this proposal, just letter for letter. They're just going to paste it in their project and use it if they don't give it to us. Well, maybe we could let every time.
0: Maybe we could let Robricks write one for us, and then yeah, we could and then use we'll his. all
1: we'll all use that one. That's right. It'll be on version three at some point because it's apparently very complicated and has breaking changes.
0: Hi, Rob. We love you.
1: (laughs) We should put results in the show notes.
0: Uh, We will do that.
1: Um, And then then the very next one is have async calls always return a future. That also seems really good to me. You should just be able to await on anything that returns a future. And then if you want to just mutate the future or like fold it in with other futures or do whatever it is you want to do, you can. But if you want to get the syntax sugar of async and await, you also can do that. This is what I wrote in my blog post, um, essentially. So I don't want to rehash myself too much, but it just seems obvious. Like, give us all the tools, and then on top of the tools, give us the, um, essentially, the syntactic sugar on top of that, so that we can choose to use the syntactic Mm -hmm. sugar, but then drop down to the level of manipulating objects when we need to.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And this I think, kind of ideologically mirrors the debate about error handling, yeah, whether you it want absolutely does syntactic sugar magic that um, we rather than like objects um,
1: yeah, and I do want syntactic sugar magic. It's awesome. it's really fun, and it makes the code really nice to write. If I would use optional without syntactic sugar magic, I would hate it. Yeah. Um, but I do like that I can add a function to the optional type and like like um, lift it, let's say, to a to an error. Yeah,
0: I mean, you want to be able to, like, use the underlying tools, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this is something that that I was thinking about, too, when I was reading this proposal. Like, I do kind of, um, I see a pretty strong argument for async calls always returning a future, which you can then just, like, let execute concurrently, and you have better control over when you, like, when you do the waiting, right? Right,
1: right. And that way, you would be able to stay in concurrently Synchronous land. Sorry, you can sing uh, synchronous land as long as you want, or you can enter asynchronous land whenever you want because you have the option. Yeah, yeah. I love at the bottom of the proposal. It's like you know, sixteen thousand words here. This proposal has been kept intentionally minimal, but there are many possible ways to expand in the future. Yeah, (laughs) really great.
0: Yeah, it's uh. Well, there's a lot to talk about. This is not a small subject.
1: No, it's not. Um, This has been a long episode. Uh, I've really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I guess we should I guess we should probably wrap up. I was just scrolling through to see if I had anything else that was really that was really interesting that I'd highlighted and I don't think so. I think we've we've talked about this uh pretty thoroughly.
1: Yeah. I would I would also add like if you've read the manifesto great, um I would also check out the proposal itself. There's a lot of good thoughts in there that like really clear up a lot of what's going on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The, the uh, sort of concrete proposal goes into a lot more detail and really, really clarifies some of the things that the manifesto glosses over.
1: Yeah. And we'll have to record about actors and about other stuff in the future. I think that's probably for the best, just because actors is going to be such a big topic as well. Yeah. Yeah. This is good, though. I, I hope the Patreon people like our little extra-long episode.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hope this was interesting. I hope that, uh, I mean, this probably is most useful if you've read uh, The Manifesto already, uh, which I'll assume that a lot of our listeners probably have.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think so. I hope so.
0: Yeah. If and you if haven't, you haven't,
1: by this point, I mean, you know, you know all about it, so.
0: Yeah, you should probably still go skim it, and some of the stuff that we've said will make more sense after you've done that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we should have said this at the beginning, I think.
0: Yeah, well, hindsight's twenty twenty
1: can't win them all you have to say hindsight is 1080p sorry hindsight is 4k what i don't know just just, just ring the bell because <laughs> like 2020 is like very it's a clear um, very clear sight and this like 4k is like but it's like for millennials
0: i i think i get it but it just isn't funny <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's too bad <laughs>
0: Uh, As we said at the beginning of the episode, thank you, everybody, so much for your support. It really means a lot to us, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.